0: We have been in a series titled Scent, and as you guys know, um, really on about every other week, we've had different voices come and contribute to the series, uh, the series that we've been in, and uh, this morning, um, I know we've had different uh, leadership come and and preach in the series, but this morning, um, we have such a treat, Uh, I'm going to invite up Sarah Bell in in just a second, but Sarah, she serves as our kids and, and youth pastor and she has just done such a killer job um, in both of those areas. And, and here's what I know about Sarah. When, when Callie and I moved to Ponca City three years ago from the Los Angeles area, uh, we were uh, very aware that we are blind missionaries. We don't automatically know how this city functions. We don't have inserted into our brain upon arrival how everyone is, what the culture of the city is, how best to reach our city. So we really put a demand on who are people and who are people we can really re- lean and rely on to help us understand and inform us how to be the best pastors and leaders to lead our church forward into reaching and transforming and changing our community. And, and one of the, the most attractive things about, things about Sarah is she's just that. Her heart beats for the city. You know, I'll say this, our church was planted over 65 years ago for the purpose of reaching uh, and, and ministering and serving Native Americans in our area. And a lot of people don't know that. This is deep in our history. This is deep within who we are as a church, as our identity. And I, as the leader in this season, said we are not going to run from those roots, but we are going to continue to be a people that continue to reconcile and figure out and dive deep into the mess of what it looks like when it comes to reconciliation. And uh, Sarah is one of those people that has such a heartbeat because she is so punk city. And I love that she is, and I love that she's such a gift when it comes to who we are as a staff, and as we uh, continue to lead forward and push forward, you're gonna just be blown away this morning by the way that this woman communicates with so much grace, so much challenge, and so much authority. So can we do this this morning as we welcome Sarah up to the stage? Can we stand on our feet, and we, can we give it up for none other than Sarah Bell? Bring it, girl, bring it, girl.
1: morning, guys. <laughs> Alright. Did anybody else have a morning like me? The rain, Have you ever seen that, that uh, meme on Facebook and there's two chihuahuas that like step up when the window's down and one of them looks out and is all excited and the other one like comes up and it's hair is all, that was me this morning. Thank, thankful for my sister because she came down from Edmond and kept the baby and Jermaine is actually um, out of town, our pastor that um, wed us passed away um, tragically. Um, and so Jermaine and I are actually on their way back from Austin, Texas right now where we lived before we moved here, Um, so keep them in your prayers as they travel back, because I don't know what the rain is like, and um, Jermaine's had a really rough couple of months, he's lost both of his grandparents, both of his grandpas, and um, probably the strongest spiritual leader, man, spiritual leader in his life in in a matter of like six months, so um, keep Jermaine in your prayers, very quiet, he doesn't ask for talk much about what he's going through but please keep him in prayer so not having him and Anaya and my daughter stayed with my mom so it was like I had nobody with Anaya and or with the baby and I think the baby has a death wish because she's like constantly challenging her life and that like that's my job in this season is to keep her alive and so you can imagine trying to put makeup on this morning and she's like putting things in her mouth and eating lotion and, and then my sister swooped in so I'm here <laughs> um But uh, I just want to pray before we get started and um, just uh, get this going. So could you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for um, the rain. Thank you for this beautiful morning. Lord, I pray this morning, God, that um, as I stand up here, Lord God, that they would not hear my words, that they would not see me just flesh and bone, Lord God, but they would hear your voice that their eyes and ears and heart would be open and receptive to what you have to say today, Lord God. Would you help us to get out of the way, our egos, our um, preconceived notions, um, whatever that is about who you are and the gospel, Lord God, would you help us just to open our, open our hearts today to hear what you have to say about grace and law. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So um, we talk a lot about, like, I love how TD always talks about, like, um, history, and he says a lot, we stand on the shoulders, and um, I just want to let you guys know that if you had asked me, I think I've said this before, but I'll keep saying it, if you'd asked me (laughs) three years ago or told me three years ago that I'd be standing here, I would have literally laughed at you, because this is not anything I ever foresaw for my future or for me. been serving for a long time, but this is something completely different than anything I've ever done. It has challenged me more than any job or experience in leadership that I've ever had. And, and it's in a good way. I can feel, you know, muscles growing and aching, and um, being up here is one of them. I think this is my second time second time up here, and it was like a year ago, November, and I didn't even realize it. And, and I don't know if you guys noticed today, but I'm wearing um, civilian clothes. Uh, I've had several of you comment this morning and, like, poke fun at me. Where's your You Belong shirt? Um, we're building a children's ministry back there, and what that means is that um, I've got to be back there every Sunday to make sure... Um, first aid kit is available and runny noses are wiped and bathroom breaks are taken and um, all of that good stuff. So I'm not in here ever. And so it was just amazing to see the progression of our worship and the progression of corporate worship. Like hearing you guys sing and seeing our worship do this worship team do this excellent well. I mean I'm just like blown away at the growth seriously. Like <laughs> And even just standing in prayer this morning, we always have team prayer at 9:45 and I was just thinking, um, and I didn't say anything because I knew I was going to have the platform, but, like, just standing in the circle and seeing all these new faces. I don't know that any of us, except maybe Amy, were had been in that thing, in, in that position three years ago. Every single one of us, and there was 15 to 20 of us, are standing in a new position. And God is growing us as a church, and it's so exciting. So I stand up here this morning, and I'm talking about standing on the shoulders. Um many of you may or may not know, um, my maiden name is Buffalo Head. I'm um, Ponca from the Ponca tribe, the Southern Poncas. We also have a northern band and my family is here today on the second row. My mom and dad and sister and her mate and yeah they all came. Um, and so I grew up in a, in a mixed cultural household and grew up um, very much so in in, in my culture and, and tag teaming with my dad all the time and um, I don't, many of you may not know this, but um, our, our cultures and our traditions, our stories, um, our names, everything that we have is unwritten. We don't have a dictionary. We don't have a Rosetta Stone. We don't have history books. Everything that we have is passed down verbally. So um, what I'm going to share with you today, um, very quickly, I'm going to try very quickly, and, and it ties into um, the sermon this morning is Grace Plus Tradition grace over tradition. Grace is greater than tradition. I couldn't settle on a title, so you get all of them. Um, (laughs) I'm learning, right? Um, And so so if we could get the slide of my great-great-grandfather up here. Um, So I spoke to my dad a couple nights ago, and just giving you a little background of like how I shouldn't even be here, literally should not be here. Um, And this is my great-grandfather, Mark Buffalohead. And many of you actually, if you have a Facebook account or a Twitter account, may have seen his face. It went viral about two, three months ago, I think. Um, a, a lawyer out of New York, his name's Brett Chapman, um, shared this and um, was basically driving home the fact that um, we're not so far removed from what happened in our, in our state's history, our nation's history, um, and the things that have brought us to where we are today. And so this man right here, he, along with um, his brothers, um, another brother, Robert Buffalohead, they were um, part of the forced removal from their homelands in 1877. Most of you may know that as the Trail of Tears, um, and the Ponca tribe that you you know that we have here in White Eagle, they have their own story. They were living in Niobrara, Nebraska, and the government forced them at gunpoint uh, to make the trek. I think we said it was over 500 miles on foot, in all the elements. Um, to Oklahoma, Oklahoma—I forget what my dad said—but at the time, in 1877, Oklahoma was considered um, a, hot, a hot zone. So nothing grew here; not, vegetation was impossible. And if you consider that, if you really think deeply, like why did they bring them here? Why do we have so many tribes here? Why they were brought here to become extinct? Tribes were not supposed to flourish; they were supposed to come here and die. They were doing a favor by removing them because they were taking their land and they moved them here to Oklahoma to basically die off because there was no way, they were like, there's no way they're going to live. Um, and so they sent them here to Oklahoma at gunpoint, starved them, gave them rotten meat, uh, gave them blank, pox blankets. Um, so this, again, everything is given verbally. Um, my dad said some, some stories say 700 plus, some say over 1,000, but those many ponkas were brought down on the, on the forced removal from their homeland and out of those 700 over 200 perished along the way and um, they, they came down here and they arrived with a little over 500 and as you can imagine there was a lot of turmoil once they got here um, suicide alcoholism was introduced um, disease identity crisis my dad and I didn't really get into this but if you can imagine you're living one way and then you're dumped in this foreign land, you're just dumped, and you've seen your loved ones die along the way. Tragically, you've had to leave children behind. And so there was a bit of an identity crisis too, I would think, which contributed to the depression, which contributed to the alcoholism, which contributed to the suicide. And a group of elders and chiefs came together and said, we've got to find a way. Our people are going to die. We don't know what we're doing here. We, um, we have no choice in the matter. We've got to figure this thing out. And they called upon my great-grandpa Robert, which I didn't get a picture of him from my dad, but um, they called upon him. And dad and I were kind of speculating. Probably why he was called on is um, tribes have what are called clans. And so families are clans, different clans, and they're called upon to do different things. And my grandpa's clan is the Hisada clan, which is medicine or, or weather. And so they were considered spiritual leaders of the tribe and so we're gathering that's probably why he was appointed or called upon he was a spiritual leader in the tribe and they said go out and find another way our people are dying there's disease and alcoholism we don't know who we are anymore please go out and find another way and so he went south and converged with the Cheyenne Arapaho tribe and they took him in and they showed him a way of worship which many of you know today as the peyote church or the Native American church now, I don't know, as soon as that word came out of my mouth, some of you might have cringed. Some of you might have went, oh, oh here we go. Because um, even the government tried to take that from us And um, I think, the 1980s or 1990s. There was a, a federal court case to take um, our, our traditions and our cultures away. Um, and I won't go into that. That's a different sermon, <laughs> different time, different sermon. I'd love to talk to you about that later. It's one of my biggest passions to share our form of worship with you. But... Um, so he brought this back to our people and my dad said that his great-grandfather said that at any given night you could look out and the teepees were full of people worshiping and people just crying out to God and praying and the suicide subsided alcoholism subsided and we flourished I don't know how but we figured out how to live off the land and I'm standing here today because they didn't give up. I'm standing here today because that man made the trek. Um, and we survived. And so I'm not just standing here because someone prayed for me. And I am standing here. I, I honestly wonder, like, if when those men prayed, did they have any idea that their great-granddaughter was going to be standing up here? I mean, it's so crazy because, let's be real, the female pastors and female women standing on a pulpit is still in 2019 not really welcomed in a lot of circles so not only am I standing up here as a woman but I'm standing up here as a woman who very well could have just died out my line could have just died out and so you can imagine there's traditions and and things that come with that and I just stand up here grateful that God's grace and mercy allows me to be here and um, so that's a little bit of history for you. I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. We'll switch gears here. <laughs> but um, I just want to let you know, like, I don't say that to be defeated. I stand up here a Victor. I stand up here in victory. Um, I, you know, a lot of you have gone on Ancestry.com, and, and, and it's so freeing, and you find freedom. Like, oh, that's who I am, and that's what I am. Um, I don't have an Ancestry.com. These things, A lot of these things aren't recorded, but we are very... Deliberate about passing that down and sharing that, and so, what that has to do with grace plus tradition, <laughs> is um, both had to both had to happen for me to stand here, and um, you know I've had a lot of people ask me, well, why aren't you down at White Eagle or why aren't you you know down there worshiping, you know, and I've have been asked by people and sometimes not so kindly, well, why why are you over there, you should be down here, and and I just feel like God has called me here and God said there's work to do here and. I felt that calling on my life, and then these doors opened up, and here I am. So that's a little little introduction. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So if you'll turn with me to your Bibles this morning to Acts 15, chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, And we'll go ahead and read. It's kind of lengthy, so hang in there with me. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So to kind of help you understand, like I said, that's kind of a, a lengthy verse um, of scripture, a piece of scripture. There's a, ch- there's a tension that's happening of tradition and then a way forward, innovation. So there's, there's a very strong tension. Um, there's two sets of legalists that kind of emerge from, from this scripture. There's the Judean visitors um, to Antioch who told Gentile Christians they must be circumcised to be saved. And there's believers in Jerusalem uh, from the Pharisees who told them they must also obey the law of Moses. God has fulfilled his covenant with Israel in sending Jesus as Messiah, which changes everything. And I don't know about you guys, but one of the most um, eye-opening and life-altering moment since I've been here under TD and Callie's leadership is um, a series that TD preached. Um, it's been about a year ago, but he was talking about the law and the, and the covenants and how they changed. You, got, I was 36 years old before I learned that. Like, where have I been? It changed everything for me. It, it really helped me understand, and that's basically what we're talking about here. They were still trying to adhere to the law of Moses and to old law in, in, the, in the topic of circumcision. And so, God says, no, Jesus' blood covers everybody. It's open to everybody. There's no distinction. It doesn't matter uh, what ethnic group you belong to. It doesn't matter how sacred you are. <laughs> Inside joke of my sister and I. How chosen, how blessed. God's grace is for everyone. It changed everything. And you can understand, like, here are these Pharisees, and they're thinking it's for them, and now we've got to share it with the Gentiles. That, that did not go over very well. And so there's three points um, looking, looking at this and, and examining this that I really want to point out to you guys this morning. And the first one is this. They created a universal expectation or a standard on what they had experienced. And how many, <laughs> how does that resonate with some of us? We're like, oh, yeah, guilty, <laughs> guilty. They had been circumcised prior to salvation, so they assumed everybody else should be. Assumed everybody else should be. Well, that's the way it's got to be. It's the way it's always been, right? So I was saved when I was seven. Did some stupid stuff in my teen years, and I rededicated my life in my early twenties, and I've never looked back. But I will tell you this: when we talk about personal experiences, I've been challenged with a few different theories. Well, then you really weren't saved when you were seven. You messed up when you were a teenager. There was no way that you were honestly saved. I've been told that. Um, we can find in scripture to support uh, and I've also been told well you can live how you want and still be saved and, and it's all good like God will still be there at the end of the road just do what you want and I'm here to tell you that either of those points could very easily point to scripture and, and have an argument but in Ephesians 2 8 through 9 you get that script, The slide up there it's pretty simple if you want to turn with me really quickly, we can. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It's just a little a little piece here. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I think it's pretty, <laughs> pretty clear cut. But I'll just tell you, I, you know, I, I accepted Christ when I was seven. And... Um, We all have different stories to tell um, where we we had that moment for us. But it's really heartbreaking when someone says to you, oh, then what you experienced weren't real. You were seven. It probably wasn't real. You know, like that's telling a kid at five that like, you know, crushing dreams and hopes like everything I've been doing is a lie and you start second guessing everything and that's why it's so important for you to do the work, to discipline yourself, to get in your word because I'm standing up here an imperfect human. I'm probably going to say some things today that are are messed up because I'm a human, right? I'm going to say some things to you after we leave here today. I'm going to fail you because I'm flesh and bone, I'm human. But God's word never fails. He never returns void. So we have to do the work ourselves. And I'll say this. God's too creative to be put in a box. Can I just say that about this point? We don't need to go judging people and speaking into people's lives like, weren't really saved then. Well, you just do what you want. Just do what you want. It's okay. It's no big deal. Um, let's let him decide. Let's let God judge the heart. Let's let him do his thing. Uh, you know. So, the second point I want to bring up about from Scripture is they made salvation harder than it had to be. James delivers a strong exhortation to the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15.9. If you want to go forward with me a little bit. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the gentiles who are turning to God. Now that's real small. <laughs> but when I read that, I kind of went, ooh. Like when I read that, and I don't know if that made y'all cringe, but it scared me a little bit because this is what I read when I read that. Does 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 this do I make it difficult for people around me to turn to God? Have we created a list of rules and regulations that turn people away from the beauty of the gospel? The beauty of the gospel is simple. Any man, woman, and child could come as they are with nothing but their faith, just believing Christ died for their sins and accepting the gift of salvation. So, talking about making things harder than it is, uh, Jermaine and I, um, when we first got married, I really debated whether or not to tell this because it's so embarrassing, but um, I don't remember how long we'd been married, a couple years, and one night I was laying in bed praying, you know, and, and he rolled over, it. And, and again, I've spoken on this, but drain's very quiet, but the man, when he speaks, like, it makes me be still, like, when he really says something, like, I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm the opposite, I talk all the time, so we balance each other out, I guess. Case in point, I'm laying in bed, you know, and he rolls over and he's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I'm praying." He's like, "Okay, what about?" (laughs) And I'm like, "I'm asking God to forgive me for my sins, so if I die tonight, I can go to heaven." And he's like, "What?" And I remember it so clear as day. Like he gets up on his shoulder and he like turns on the lamp and he's like, "What do you mean?" I was like, because if I die tonight and I fell asleep before I prayed this prayer, I'm going to hell. And he was like, and I remember his like face so clearly. I was so embarrassed. And in the moment, I'm like really serious about this. And, you know, I'm like, stop bothering me. I'm asking God to forgive me. And he's like, he put his hand on my shoulder. He's like, babe, you've already been covered in the blood. You've already, you've already been saved. You're already spoken for. Your name is already in the book. Like, you, you're you spending way too much time laying there and bawling and raising your head, God, please. Oh, geez. Like, today I cursed at my kid. Please don't take me to hell. Like, Jerome's like, dude. <laughs> and that's, that's, and I think the reason I'm like embarrassed is because that's, that's our marriage in a nutshell. <laughs> Pretty much I'm over here going, oh, God, what? And he's like, it's good, it's fine. Coincidentally enough, I'm the yoga teacher. So, you know, he qualifies the called, right? Um, I'm the wound up one. So I just share that story to show you guys that even myself in my early 20s had been walking with God for 15 plus years can make salvation harder than it has to be. And, and I don't want to stand up here and condemn any denomination or whoever said that to me or whoever spoke that into me, but somewhere down the line, someone told me that. Somewhere down the line that was spoken into my life, that rule and regulation of you can lose your salvation tonight you better pray, you better hope God saves you, you better hope he forgives you, he might not forget that sin, but you better pray anyway and hope to God. Who can sleep when you're praying that kind of prayer? Like, who can really rest? And guys, I did that for 15 plus years. So don't be a stumbling block for people. Don't make salvation harder than it has to be. And the third point um, that I would like to make is that they expected of others what they couldn't even do themselves. So, if we look in verse 10, and, and I told I told T.D. and Callie whenever I first got this portion of scripture, I probably could have spent the next 30 minutes, like, on this scripture alone, and I don't know why, I still don't really know, I have a good idea, why this scripture was so important to me. Out of the whole 11 scriptures, this one, like, really just kept coming back to me and coming back to me, and it's up here on, up here if you want to follow along. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. So I ask you this, I ask myself this, do we have impossible expectations of other people? How hard are we on the people around us, our coworkers, our spouse, the people we love the most? I'm a, I'm a mother with three children and I started working with kids when, I mean, I, I helped my mom with VBS and Sunday school as early as I can remember, but my vocation um, and my calling to, to um, serve children and their families really began when I was a camp counselor in college. Um, I worked for the YMCA for two years and just absolutely fell in love with big kids and then um, got my degree and moved to Austin and things just kind of lined themselves up. So I've always been like a director or um, a program coordinator or some some capacity like that for 15 plus years. and. I find myself giving way more grace to the kids in my program than I do my own children. So when I read this, it kind of resonated with me as a mother. When Anaya breaks something, which is daily. When Naomi rolls her eyes at me, which is daily. Am I right, Naomi? She's a preteen. And when Evie almost breaks her neck or swallows something she shouldn't have swallowed like those moments am I responding with the same grace that I give myself as parents I ask you this morning I challenge you grandparents if you're raising kids if you're teaching kids if you're in any capacity with children how quick are you to hold unreasonable expectations on them that you don't on yourself when I spill something, I go get a towel and I clean it up. When one of my kids spills something, it's like, oh, my God, I have to cook dinner, and I've got softball practice, and really, really? Like, there's no grace sometimes for me with my children. And But if I'm home alone and it's just me and I spill something, it's like, oh, I'll get a towel, clean it up. And I see this all the time, all the time around me working with kids, I should say. So, you know, I, I, um, I don't know if we can get a picture of my darling girls up here. Um, I am a softball coach and a basketball coach, and um, that's teaching. You know, we call it a coach. It's called many different things, but I teach. When I got these girls, oh, I shouldn't even look at the picture because I just have my heart so much. I was going to invite them to come today, and I got the idea too late, maybe another Sunday. But... These are my darling bulldogs. And don't let those pretty little faces and smiles fool you. They will clothesline you into the dirt in a minute. In a minute. Softball, there's nothing soft about it, can I just tell you? Get hit by one coming 50 miles an hour. Nothing soft about it. I've been coaching these girls for, um, this will be my fourth season. And um, what I know (laughs) is that when you're coaching, you're getting kids from all different levels. You've got the kid who has two left feet. You've got the kid who can hit it out of the park. You've got the kid who has an arm on her like a pro ball player. You've got the little girl who can't even wind up. Like you're wor- in a classroom as a teacher. You're working with kids on all different levels. And it's your job to, cr- to, to connect potential with possibility. I don't know where I heard that, that's not my own. It just came to me. You can tweet that, Callie. <laughs> it's not mine. I heard it somewhere. But it's my job to create potential it's to, to merge potential with possibility. In leadership, our job is to connect the two. Our job is to look, my job as a coach is to look into that little girl's life and say, No, you can't hit the broadside of a barn right now. <laughs> You can't even stand in the box correctly. I'm having to show you how to stand, keep your feet. I'm having to show you how to square up to the ball. I'm, but you know what? I, you're going to get there. I see potential in you. And my job, and I'll tell you, I'm not standing up here a saint, you guys. Ask my daughters. Ask my husband. There's a lot of days after a two-hour practice in the 100-degree heat that I go home and I'm like, what am I doing they could not hit the glove. They could, girl showed up 15 minutes late for practice. Another one rolled her eyes at me one more time. Don't you roll your eyes at me one more time. You're going to hit foul poles. Like, I'm here for you. I'm not getting paid for this position. Like, there's so many times I come home and I've told my husband, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't handle the attitude. I can't handle the hormones. I can't handle the bickering. I can't handle the fact that I've been working with this girl for a year and a half and she still's not getting it. <laughs> I must not be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I must, there's something wrong with me. I'm giving up. They need something better than what I can give. And God is always so quick to say, Nope, it's going to be you. And I've called you this position, I've called these little girls to be under your care keep leading them keep filling yourself with me keep relying on me don't rely on you because you're messed up too and keep doing this thing so we get the other picture up here um here's me um jermaine was still working he called me 30 minutes before the game there's a couple things i want to point out about this picture just a little side note it's kind of funny he called me 30 minutes before the game was supposed to happen and um I also watch a couple of kids on the side like as a little side hustle and so they're sitting in the dugout. The two little bitty ones are sitting in the dugout. Um, Naomi, I don't know what she was doing but the baby ran off from her and I was like give me the baby. Just give me the baby. So I'm like standing in the dugout and I'm like doing signals and stuff with the baby on my hip and they're just royally messing up this inning. Like <laughs> and the other thing I want to point out, see the guy over there, you know he's like and we jokingly said I was like you need to caption this Dustin like what was happening But. His team is phenomenal. Like, they're really, really, really good. They won first place in every t- tournament we had. But we were rocking them. Actually, now that I think about it, we, had, we, had, we were in the game with them, which we had never done before, but we started to slip. The, the, the tie started to slip. And I was like, oh, uh-uh. This is the first time we've come close to beating these girls. They're upset. That's why he, And he told me later that's why he was upset with me because a little tactic for you. This is free if you ever coach. Um, call a timeout. If they're doing really good and they've got momentum, call timeout. Because you slow down their momentum. You stop it. And he told me later, because I asked him, like, Dustin, caption this. He's like, I was probably wondering why you called a timeout and slowed down my momentum. And I was like, that's why I called a timeout. <laughs> Your move. <laughs> um, but, you know, this is just a picture of like, life is not perfect. My husband didn't show up. I had no one to watch my baby. So I called a timeout and she's on my hip. I will forever cherish this picture because this is, in essence, like, when you love what you do literally move any kind of obstacle to make it happen. And I love these little girls. I love what I do. It's so challenging, but I'm going to move whatever it takes to to be there for them. And in that moment, it's so hard because there's a moment, there's a time to chew their butt out and there's a time to encourage and just, okay, come on, what's going on? This was one of those moments. You can tell my body language. I'm just like this. If I'm ever like this, (laughs) you'll know, like, oh, she's, she's chewing their butt. But this this part right here is just me telling him, look, I see something in you. You can get out of this inning. You can pitch strikes. You're not going to hit another girl. <laughs> You're not going to overthrow another ball. Dig deep. This is what we've worked for. Get it done. That's what this moment was. And I worry that sometimes we make things way too difficult. And and life is already hard on its own. Marriage is hard. Parenting is hard. Bills are hard. Job loss is hard. Losing a loved one is hard. Turn on the news. That's hard. And so what do we do? Like ha- Francis Chan has this quote um, and he talks about like how the God of the universe who created all these scientific things like eons and all these different things. You know, he created the universe. He created us. And what, what is our response? We go to church, we sing songs, and we try not to cuss. And that's, you know, I think about that. We, we make things way too difficult. Like, we're missing the point completely. And I fear that we cheapen grace, and we cheat people who are trying to believe and trying to get there when we do this. And here's what I know. I, I was hesitant to share this and I won't go into it too much, but I've seen first account how legalism, it's the first time I'm using this word, but it's kind of what we're talking about. Um, I jokingly um, told one of my friends that for every time I said circumcision, they had to like stand up or something. When T.D. first gave me the scripture, I was like, great! Try to find a sermon title for that one. Thank you. So I feel like I did a pretty good job, but that's really what I got out of this too, is this nasty word legalism. And what I know is that legalism, more than anything else that I've observed in my 25 years or so of walking with the Lord, is that legalism can divide a people. It can crush a servant spirit. It can divide a church. It can close a church's doors quicker than anything else. And unfortunately, I walked through that at one point in my life. And... I still kind of get sad about it because I'm like, man, we had a good thing going, but this little bit of a theology debate crept in and people started dividing on both sides and within, unfortunately there started to be, um, people started stumbling bad in leadership, dropping the ball in leadership, I won't go into that, the doors closed within two years and I can so clearly look back and see that was legalism we were sitting around arguing about something and here, you guys listen to me, like if John Wesley and Martin Luther and John Calvin if you don't know who those are, go look them up great men, if they're going to sit and debate about it I I don't have time to come up to you and sit and talk to you about, about legalism about what I think I'm pulling from scripture, especially if I don't know you very well, this is where I think we mess up the most we start off a conversation or a relationship with this, instead of like, love and grace, let's go to coffee, let me help you with your child, come over for dinner. Like, we completely sidestep all of the grace stuff. And you know why I think that is? Because it's hard. That, it's much easier. It was much easier for the Pharisees to slap down a rule book, to pull up some lists and say, mm mm, mm mm. That's so much easier than crying with the prostitute at the well, than washing the widower's feet. That requires discipline. Grace is not easy. And I just don't want, that. I I feel like for me, like that's where I want, what I want us to take from today, if nothing else. And I don't want you to get legalism confused with pursuing God's heart. Don't, don't get the two confused and that's why I think the title works so well grace over law I'm not saying there's not a place for law I'm not saying there's not a place for theology I'm just saying there's gotta be grace grace has gotta come first and that just to tell you like that's where my world has been shook the most and maybe that's why God gave me this to come up here today maybe that's why he's revealing to me in this moment that's where I've grown under TD and Callie's leadership the most I did not even realize how deep into legalism I was. And I'm, I'm a nice person. If you know me at all, I'm a nice person. I smile a lot. I laugh. I'm going to give you the biggest hugs. But I would, under the surface, if I was out about or if I was with someone, in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to be doing that. Not, well, if they would just do this, well, the world would be a lot better if we would just do this. Like, in my mind, I was doing more of that than I was doing of Grace. Way more, legalism was deeper and rooted in my heart than I wanted to admit. And in the last year, God has transformed me. I look at people so different. I just, I could spend a whole nother, thank you. I could spend a whole nother hour talking about what God has done in my life, but this is what I know. If we align ourselves with love and grace, what could change? If we could align ourselves with how to love somebody better, Look, I teach yoga. Some of you may not be cool with that. But come to a yoga class. I promise we're not talking about Hindu gods. I promise I'm not throwing some Buddhist theology at you. <laughs> I pray in my classes. I play Christian worship music in my classes. Not all the time. Not all the time. Sometimes it's Michael Bublé. Sometimes it's Nora Jones. Sometimes it's piano music. It's whatever. But some of you might not be comfortable with that. Um, I celebrate Halloween. <laughs> I'm a woman like I you know like I've all of these things you guys all of these things I have personally encountered and been attacked and been condemned you have no business leading in children's celebrating Halloween you have no business leading our children in future generations teaching yoga how dare you and I know who I am I'm just gonna tell you right here and now I have not had a sliver of doubt about where I'm at because I'm in God's pocket. I'm in his hand. I'm loving people. Thank you. I'm loving people. I'm way too busy. Way too busy loving people and serving people. I do not have time for your nonsense. Thank you, but no. And that's what I love about Calling Lab because we're figuring all that out. You know, shameless plug, come to Calling Lab. Um, I would challenge you with this have coffee with that yogi friend. I'll take coffee. I'll take coffee. Let me be the yogi. (laughs) Compliment and ask questions of the tattooed, pierced lady in front of you in the grocery store. (gasps) Okay, I won't even tell you my story about that a couple weeks ago that I experienced. Oh my gosh. Invite.